Welcome to the Tree Church Bible Study. My name is Chris Reed. I am the Director of Biblical Education and your host for the podcast. Now, I am excited about today's conversation. As a matter of fact, I would say that it was probably my favorite conversation to date that we've had on the Tree Church Bible Study. And we've covered a lot of different books of the Bible, and these, this has been my favorite by far. Uh, simply because I believe that the, the topics that we talk about today have the power to change your life and change how you view God and and how you believe who Jesus is and what he has in store for your life. And so I am excited about this conversation. Uh, Today I'm joined by Pastor Matthew and Pastor Brandon as we um, explore the back half of Hebrews chapter 4 and chapter 5. So please stay tuned after this ad for our conversation. Serving the church body is one of the greatest privileges we have as Christians. We get the opportunity to serve, connect more deeply with other believers, and honor the calling we have on our lives. We have so many spaces for you to serve at The Tree. If you're not already serving, we want to help you get plugged in. You can visit our app to learn more. Well, hey guys, welcome back to The Tree Church Bible Study. Pastor Brandon, great to have you here again. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Pastor Matthew, always good to have you along for the ride here today. I love Bible study. It's one of my favorite things that we do. Awesome. Well, we are going to be picking up in Hebrews chapter 4 today. Um, we, we ended at verse 13 last week, so we're going to pick it up in 14. And uh, going through part of chapter 5 as well, these kind of break up kind of different um, than the normal typical like chapter breakdowns that we have. So we're going to be doing that, doing a little different, more on topic than, than necessarily the, uh, the chapter breakdowns. But first, as always, we've got some get-to-know-you questions, and, and Pastor Brandon's going to lead this section of the Bible study today. So... I yeah, turn it we, over to you. Yeah, we were joking about it ahead of time. Asking questions is one of my favorite things. I love a good conversation and, and what it draws out of people and even what it tells you about their personalities. And so I'm going to ask some pretty specific questions to, to ha- for you guys today. And uh, so I'm going to start with this one. If you could spend your life never sleeping and clearly never getting tired like you didn't have any of those ill effects or anything, what would you do with the extra hours of your, your day? Matthew? You know, th- that's a hard one because of how important rest is, it, uh, yeah, it, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it, yeah. it feels yeah. like, well, I would need to detach. And I, and I think I would, I think mm-hmm. for me, I would, it would probably be uh, hobby heavy. Mm-hmm. Like I would probably take up something that I don't normally do. And honestly, woodworking is something that really fascinates me. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think at some point in my future, I'll get more into it, probably more as my kids start to transition mm-hmm. college and, and marriage and things like that. I love it. You and I, you, you shared uh, some videos of a guy who does it well. Yeah. Every time in my life that I've had the ability to do like remodeling around my house and stuff like that, I've really enjoyed that. Um, so I think it would be hobby related, something that is not my normal job mm-hmm. that would allow me to just kind of disconnect. Um, my initial response when, when I thought about it was like, I would watch a lot of Netflix or something, <laughs> you know, like, because like the detach, but if right. you're not getting tired right. physically, then I think, yeah, I would absolutely love to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I would I would want to write a book. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have the desire to write a book. It just feels like never have the time, um, though I don't have a topic I want to talk that's, about. That's right. going to be my follow-up question. Yeah. I, I wondered if you had a topic. Like, I don't have a topic specifically. Like, I would love to write anything, like, spiritual. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would write that. I, honestly, like, C.S. Lewis, Frank Peretti, kind of like fiction, mm-hmm. like Christian fiction type stuff, mm-hmm. I would love to write 
a fiction novel. Like someday. with a little like zombie element to it. Yeah, though? something. Yeah, something. <laughs> something just weird kidding. to it. So, but just something interesting and a revival breaks out with the zombies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> revival. They get saved. They get brought back to yeah. life. That's a cool story. Yeah. Man. So, yeah. 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 Christ resurrection. Chris's like, moment. No, 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 no. So this is how the story goes. Like Jesus comes back and he resurrects the undead. So, oh, like, nice. Wow. See? There, there you is. go. He is he is the uh, the ultimate cheap code in the zombie apocalypse. So, there we go. So there I, yeah, that, I, that's what I think I would do. I would I would spend more time studying, more time reading and writing. So yeah, yeah, mine's a combination of both of those. I think writing would be a big one for me. This is a weird thing. I've always wanted to write a children's book. Like I just think that's it'd very be totally cool. fun just to write something unique and creative like that. And I think learning new trades. You could partner off of the zombie. Book. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, zombie book for kids. <laughs> yeah. The kids version. Uh, and also, I think just learning new skills. I'd love to learn, you know, musical instruments, those types of things. And then uh, survival skills, I think, would be fun if you had oh, extended yeah. time. But, but yeah, that's what I would do. Cool. So, all right. So, scar questions are always a fascination to me. I'm always scar? curious. Yeah, scars, where they come from, how they originate. And so, well, how did you get your biggest scar? And tell us the story kind of behind it and, and how that originated. Christopher? Okay. Um, so there was this bear and (laughs) exactly (laughs) just kidding. Uh, so uh, I am vertically challenged. I'm a short guy and, um, I like to think that I can jump. I'm also vertically jumping challenged. (laughs) Uh, but at one point during CrossFit, we were doing like high jump, like, like testing our verticals, seeing how high we could jump, doing box jumps on to different height things. And so we had been doing that in CrossFit and like, I'm like, yes, I can. I'm putting plates on top of boxes, like getting up there. My grandmother has a step, like a concrete step. Um, it's actually her porch. Like you see, so you step up to it. And in my mind, this was the same height of things that I was doing. It is not so much. <laughs> so I don't even know this story. I, I don't know that I've ever told it. It was super embarrassing. <laughs> so I'm at my grandmother's house one day and we're just standing around and I'm like, I can box jump. Like I can, I can jump on top of this. And so I go to jump on top of it and I almost get there and I catch my toe and I still have a scar on my shin that big and like it busted it open. Like it was like, Mm. like, I I don't know if it's still fully healed yet. I don't know that it ever does. No, I got hit in the shin this week and it's, me too. it's bad. Yeah. So that that's probably the worst. Like one of the other remaining ones that I have is Chris. It might have been the same height, but you do know you have to warm up to stuff, right? Like <laughs> sure, you're yeah. probably wearing like blue jeans, and you're like, I could do this. <laughs> I still have those moments where I'm like, I think I can do that. I think, right. I, and I end up getting hurt. So yeah, just as a rule of life, I, I'm now just telling myself when I say like, I think I can still do that. Wow. Like if I add the word still, yes, I'm yes. like, no, you can't. I know. Stop. I went out. I had a sprint in a workout the other day, and I went out to sprint. And I was like, it's not the same. <laughs> I remember it being so graceful in high school and you got to sprint now and it's like the most uncoordinated thing ever. You know? I just picture like you running down the street, like in your mind, you're sprinting and like someone just jogs by you as you're going. And you're <laughs> pretty like, much, pretty like, much. Oh, man. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, so I did BMX stuff and I, I have half a mind to go because there's a, there's a uh, hey, BMX could, park here. You should do it, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I've got half a mind to go get a BMX bike and try it. And I'm like, ah, no, that's going to be a dumb idea. Yeah. I just remember that video that Megan took of you on that little uh what was that stroller thing or whatever that you're doing a little bunny kick, hops kick on or something yeah. <laughs> it felt so great in your mind but it was like nah did you call it bunny hops yeah and he called us he tried to give some cool name to it what did you call it kick flips but oh he said kick flips uh, but oh. i said bunny hops. oh you but, said the bunny hop. yeah 
That's funny. Um, uh, speaking of sprinting, I remember one time at CrossFit, they uh, had, a, I think we had a, I think we had to do like a hundred meter sprints or something like that. And it was funny. I, I literally like blew out my hamstring, oh, yeah. like where it was like black and blue all down yeah. my, but it was like four other people did. And I'm like, <laughs> what were you guys thinking that you were like, let's do something you probably haven't done since right. you were a child. Yeah. No, everyone go out and do it. Like you don't know how to warm up for that. Not like their all. process. People are basically like, <laughs> all right, going out for a sprint. Touch your toes. Hand <laughs> yeah, right exactly. Here we go. Um, man, I, you know, I'm trying to think scars. I, I've had a few, I mean, I've had a couple surgeries, but, mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll tell two quick ones. One I have on the back of my head was I was a kid and we were playing like wiffle ball or something outside or, but it was like with a metal bat in our backyard and I was catching and I stood up too quick and my brother Chris was swinging and the bat hit me in the back of the head. So like, ah. yeah, that hurt. I still remember like it, I mean, I probably got a concussion, but I didn't yeah. know it, but it just was like, boom, <laughs> I just remember being like, you know, and then it got like all bloody. But the second one, um, Chris and I, when I was, shoot, I probably would have been high school at this point. Uh, we, we got, we fought all the time. My brother, Chris, uh, so I realized I said, Chris, sure. and I don't people think you and I fought. <laughs> all right. We fought all the time when we were growing <laughs> up together. Yeah. And, uh, and so Chris, uh, so we got in a fight in the kitchen and, and we had had a bunch of friends for the night. So they were like still there. And so like a lot of our blankets and bedding was all out down downstairs. So Chris and I got into this like physical fight and then he ran downstairs, like away from me and literally sat between my parents who were watching TV, like on, on the couch. And, and I was, I chased him and I was so mad because I couldn't get to him that I went to just like flop myself down on the bedding because like, I was just like frustrated. And one blanket was over a metal dehumidifier. So like nowadays they're all plastic, but yeah. this was metal. And I hit my head and it busted it open. And like, it went deep. Like it went, they had to do like multiple layers of stitches. But when they did it, I, I stood up, you know, like head wounds are like yeah. the worst. Yeah. And I stood up and I was just annoyed. Like I, like I've never been one that got emotional with pain. Mm -hmm. And like, I just got, I was annoyed, like blood's going everywhere. My mom is the worst in an emergency, <laughs> like <laughs> the worst. She just stood up and ran circles around me going, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> and like, I just like remember like, oh. just like looking. And <laughs> You're totally cool. Yeah. Like, my dad just goes, Phyllis, sit down. <laughs> and like, and then like grabs like a t-shirt, puts it to my head and goes like, let's go. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we go to the, um, uh, the, the emergency room, which was just like literally like two blocks from our house. And uh, we go in there and I'm sitting in, I have like a white t-shirt on. It's just covered in blood. Oh That's why I was wearing. Goodness. And then I have something in my head and uh, I'm sitting in the waiting room. And I, I still remember this, the surgeon walks by and uh, he walks by and just like glances over. He, I guess he was like the head of the ER, but he was a surgeon also, but he walks by and then like, I just see him come back and like he looks <laughs> and then he just calls a nurse and uh, she comes, she's like, he would like for you to come back now. Like yeah. you just don't yeah. want that in the waiting room, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> blood all over and stuff. And uh, my dad was like, no, I, you know, I want a plastic surgeon to do it because I don't want him to have like a nasty scar. Yeah. And the guy goes, I've stitched up thousands of people. I promise you I can do a good job. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm, yes, I'm totally Just cool with that. Yeah. And my dad's like, okay. And he did a great job. I mean, you yeah. can't even see it. Yeah, it's can't. like on my head. But Have you ever yeah. had a boxer scar, like, uh, like a cut above your eye? I don't think That's so. That's close as I've got. Yeah. Oh, man. It, it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Elijah hit me with a hockey stick one day. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> Opened my eye right up. On like, purpose? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were playing hockey, it, hockey and he just kind of right. brought the stick up and it caught me. Yeah, but that's payback. I opened his eye up with a baseball. So, yeah. Here's the thing Reed's and every family vacation at some point in time have had a scar like story. And a trip to the ER. I like, feel like you guys is family vacations there's, there's a lot of intensity it's to just it. never so good it's yeah i mean yeah. even like people might not know you two are brother-in-laws but right. like yeah you guys is you have like 
athletic competitions on your guys' family vacations. <laughs> yeah. We've scaled them back quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. We know better now. But yeah, you guys always get beat up on vacations for some Pretty reason much. uniquely. Um, I have one that was a foolish one, but my biggest one is a head story as well. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this when I was like trying to impress my kids on the rig. I have a rig at home, a workout rig, and trying to show them like my skills, you know what I mean? And I uh, ended up hitting my head, slamming my head. I can still kind of see it, but that was the first time I'd ever had stitches in my life. And it was like right on your head. And it's just such a sensitive, sensitive spot. But yeah. it was one of those where you're, you know, you said you're like a head wound and you're like, it's fine. It's fine or whatever. But there's just like blood yeah. everywhere. My kids are like panicking. <laughs> you're yeah. like, are you okay? And I was like, Megan, it'll heal over fine. And then I'm glad I went because yeah. the, the doctor was like, yeah, that wouldn't have healed well. Mm-hmm. So they put stitches in. Yeah. It's such a nasty, like you think it will heal, but mm-hmm. it would just, it will look so much worse if you right. don't just get stitches. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my scar story. But all right, third, third and final question. Describe a time when you have overcome a fear. Hmm. Chris, let's start with you. Well, this one time, this snake crawled up on me, and I <laughs> shot it with 15 arrows. <laughs> that um, is a true story. Yeah, that's a, very, that's a true story. Um, but, uh, yeah, i got to think about it for a minute. Okay. Matthew? So I'm claustrophobic, man. Yeah. Like, legit claustrophobic. And uh, I've had a couple, like, actually, very the same story twice. But um, I had to get an MRI of i'm not even sure what this was um i got i can't remember what the actual part of the body was but um i i went there the whole story is actually kind of funny so i go there and it's like in town and the person i'm talking this is this will even date this to some degree i'm talking to this nurse and she goes she's like looks up and my my official name is robert so like all my paperwork is robert johnson Mm -hmm. but she looks up and she goes would you by chance go by a different name and uh, I go, yeah, I actually go by my middle name, Matthew. She goes, yeah, are you Matthew Johnson, pastor? At, I think at the time it was even Lancaster Community Church. Uh-huh. And I go, yeah. She goes, someone gives me your CDs from your church CDs. of your sermons. Right, so CDs, yeah. like dating me, right? And uh, she goes, I just recognized your voice. And so like, I immediately go into like pastor mode, right? Like I'm just like, oh, okay. So not, not, that's not a bad thing, but I'm like, okay. Yeah. you know. So I'm talking and stuff. And then she goes, okay, well, in this MRI, you know, you're going to go into the machine. Um, they're going to put headphones on you because it's loud. And then they're going to put this like box around your head and then they're going to push you in. And, uh, she's like, are you okay with that? And, and I know I have claustrophobia to some degree, but at this point, like, I'm thinking like, oh yeah. And I go, yeah, I should be okay. And so on top of it, like I'm, I'm in pastor mode, some degree, like, I don't know if I'm saying macho, but you get what I'm saying. Like, there's just like, I don't want to look like an idiot. Right. And uh, so they they put all the stuff on me and I'm fine. And at this point, I still don't realize that they're pushing me in a machine. I think the machine's just going to go over my head. So I'm like, this box is fine. The headphones are fine. But when they push me in, it's tight enough that it pushed my shoulders up. And and then it just felt like it went like my like whole body. And I, she goes, you okay? And I go, uh-huh. <laughs> and I, in my mind, I'm like, you know, just suck it up, Matthew. Be a man. And I go, uh-huh. No, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> and I go, you got to pull me out, pull me out. And they pull me out. And I'm like so embarrassed. Like I still remember, I'm like red, I'm sweating. And I'm like, I am sorry. Like that was just too much. And she's like, that's okay. I mean, she was so nice. And I, I take the headphones off. I'm like, for sure, no on headphones. Like I can't do that. And I go, I want to try it again. I go, but I have to have my eyes closed when you push me in. Mm-hmm. And she goes, okay. And so when she pushes me in, I'm literally like, this is like Aladdin. I'm picturing myself on a rug over 
a grass field flying. Like, so like, I don't know why I was on a rug, but I was like, Aladdin. <laughs> and like, for some reason I was cool. And like, and then like they play music and as much as you can hear, but the machine's kind of loud. Mm -hmm. uh, so then my second story real quick, was the identical situation. I had to get an MRI on my wrist when I had wrist surgery. So they put me in like a Superman pose. I had oh. to lay down and go in. And it was like the exact same story. Are you gonna be okay? And I said, I think so. And they pushed me in and I did like the, you know, Aladdin thing, but it like, it just unnerved me. I go here, pull me out real quick. They pulled me out, like kind of settled. And then I went back in and I had headphones on and this was the weird part. They put me in and it's like 30 minutes or something, but they were playing two different radio stations through my headphones oh, at the weird. same time. Oh. So it was almost like they were, they were like mentally assaulting me. <laughs> like this was some mental warfare because you hear the machines going like, dum, 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 right. dum, if you've never heard that. Yeah. And then I'm having two different types of music, two different voices at times oh. going through. And I'm just in a Superman pose. <laughs> and like, they're like, if you need anything, let us know. And like, so like five minutes in, I'm like, hello, hello, like nothing for like 20 minutes. And then they come back on. They're like, are you doing okay? I'm like, uh, you have two radio stations going to my headphones, so they fixed it. But, yeah. but again, it was just like it was, I hate they're out like sensory deprivation chamber is what that was. Huh? They're out on a coffee break. Right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they're messing with me. They just keep sending different signals. Oh boy! All right. Did you have so one that came to mind. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got one. Uh, so when I was, we're gonna get psychologically deep here. All so right. I was probably nine years old, and I was pitching um, a baseball game, and. Uh, the game got away from me. Mm -hmm. So like I was pitching and like, I just started walking people. First of all, I'm nine years old. So right. that's a pretty common thing. Like, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that was just a normal game. Yeah, it's a normal <laughs> game. In my mind, it wasn't. And so, but I start to, to kind of panic. Like, mm -hmm. and I start to get to the place where I'm like, like, and, and my parents still, or my dad will pick on me about this. I, like, I just start, like, I start panicking, getting overwhelmed. I'm like, I got to get out of this inning. I can't, mm -hmm. like, I can't get the ball That's across the court. smacking the table only because it's picking oh, it. Sorry. <laughs> Whack. Alex is like, knock it off. As Chris this is, is telling the story, yeah. he's just getting madder and madder. He says, <laughs> <This is> the <laughs> 400th time Alex has told again. us to stop touching the table. But, so, like, so it was, like, got to get out of this inning. And, 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 like, coach had to come out and, like, settle me down, like, all that kind of stuff. And, and so, like, I was... I was overwhelmed. I was right. terrified, and but I was able to kind of get out of the okay. inning, work yeah. out of it, and whatnot. I I don't know if we gave up too many runs, but got through it. And that, that was always kind of a big thing for me. Like mm -hmm. I stuck with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. When so you that, feel responsible in that moment, that's, yeah, that's, those are intense. Yeah, like, if you've never pitched, you don't realize it, that's it a is, lot of responsibility. Yeah. It is such a vulnerable thing. You're just like by yourself, yeah. and you're like walking or people shooting free yeah. throws, like yeah. those types of exactly. things. Moments are on like when the game's online, you're like, yeah. that's too intense for me. But yeah. Um, mine would be more of a, like overcoming, uh, something that I'm terrified of and it's prison, believe it or not. So listen to the story. <laughs> so in college, um, I had a pastor who was a mentor of mine who got us connected somehow with a prison ministry. And, uh, and so my entire life, I'm like, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to think about that. Like that's so intense. And so, um, he said, Hey, would you be interested in, in starting this fellowship of Christian athletes in a prison? And initially I was like, uh-uh. You know, there's no yeah. way I'm possibly doing this. But when I got in there, I got to experience it and see the life change that was happening in the lives of these men. Like it, it changed my perspective clearly. Clearly, I don't want to be in there. Right. But, yeah. you know, it was like overcoming that moment of like stepping through the gates. You hear every little noise. You're checking in. They're like running you through like don't do this, do this, that type of thing. But it yeah. was an intense moment initially. So why did you have a fear of prisons? Like, had you been in one before for anything? No, I, mean, not, I just not, like, had the thought of like, it. Yeah. Just, okay. I just know that I would not survive well <laughs> in that environment. So I'm like, yeah. I just never want to be there. You know what I mean? That type you of thing. You know what's weird? When I was a kid, I had this like, genuine fear that one day I'd end up in prison. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and yeah. that thought terrified me. So it's funny, like, 
Uh, I don't know if you heard people talk about this. Like, they were so stressed when we were kids that people wanted to kidnap us. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Like stranger danger. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so, like, I just assumed at some point I'm going to get kidnapped, and the other <laughs> half of my life I'm going to be in prison. Right. Like, I don't know yeah. why I had that in my or head. Or be accused of something that I didn't right. even do. That's like that. That's the fear. fear. I yeah. used to run out. Like, I used to be out in the yard, and I would run, like the to the kidnap thing. I used to run back to the porch, like. Yeah. Whether it be my parents' house or my grandparents' house, like if a car went by, it was <laughs> right. drop yeah. what you're doing, get back to the porch. Yeah, and I actually heard a guy talk about that. He said, this is so, like we're not even on the Bible study, but this guy <laughs> said uh, the problem was there was, I think it was the guy, um, do you remember the guy who uh, was the uh, host of the show America's Most Wanted? Yeah. Yes. So yes. his son, it was a tragic story. His son got her, I think he one time publicly said a number like three million children a year are kidnapped in the U.S. And it the number is like the number is like three hundred or something yeah. like it's like a crazy low number. And but he said that, and so I think it was like people were like, "Oh my goodness, three million! That's like you know forty two percent of yeah. kids." <laughs> and so like that got out, and so like everyone has this paranoid like mindset about it. But yeah, yeah. for sure, yeah, cool. that's all I got, man. That's all you got. Yeah, great questions, Brandon. Okay. All right, well, let's jump into the Bible study, and we've got a good one today. These, these, uh, I was just saying beforehand, these, uh, these verses are probably some of my favorite in Hebrews. Or Matthew, you said it was your favorite, absolutely, and it's yeah. just rich and and uh, just good stuff. As I was studying, I was really excited about the conversation we're going to have today. So, let's jump into that. Let's start in verse fourteen of chapter four. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help and time of need. So the writer of Hebrews starts by calling Jesus a, a great high priest, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more here in a moment. What I want to kind of focus on is, is the picture that we kind of get from the the author of Hebrews here is this picture of of Jesus being both God mm -hmm. and man. Mm -hmm. He he is stressing very uh, very um, important like he he wants to make it known Jesus occupies both the space of of being fully God and fully man. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of the conversations that I read and I was talking to you about this a little bit Brandon this mm -hmm. week as we were studying like the conversations that go into figuring out how that all works it is kind of mind-boggling to me. Mm -hmm. Like people have so many theories about how this <laughs> works and and it to me it's one of those things that's just like a mystery. Like yeah, I agree. It, like it's how, a transcendent idea. Yeah. Our our minds can't get around it. Exactly. Yeah. But the important part is that he both he does he does fully encapsulate what it means to be human mm -hmm. and he fully encapsulate what it what it means to be uh God. And so why does that play such an important role in our faith that Jesus occupies both those spaces, both God and man? Matthew? Yeah, so when it talks about the things like the idea that he was tempted in every way like us but was, was without sin, if you only picture him in the God sense, mm -hmm. then temptation's not even a temptation, really, right? right? It's like, because right. God himself is never tempted with evil because you would have to like we're tempted by evil because something tricks us into believing something is better. Well, a God who can't be tricked, you know, like he, he's not tempted at all. But Jesus experiencing humanity, temptation is completely different now. So, mm -hmm. so when he is fully flesh, and so there's a part of his nature that's going to give him the strength and prohibit him from fully from sinning ever, giving into right. it. But in his flesh, he got to experience 
the fullness of temptation. Mm-hmm. And, and I read a book this past year. I wish I could quote it. I actually gave it to all the staff. Um, I can't remember what that it was called. But anyway, uh, in the book, the guy was talking about temptation. And he said, sometimes we, we think that uh, because Jesus didn't sin, somehow temptation wasn't as strong for him. He goes, but actually the truth of it is Jesus understands the power of temptation more than anyone else because he never gave into it. Right. So the image he gave was if you're if you're walking across a field and the wind is just raging against you, mm-hmm. if you keep walking, then you keep understanding the exhaustion and the difficulty. If you lay down on the ground and now the wind's going over you because mm-hmm. you've given up, you're no longer in the wrestle. So Jesus knows, even though he never gave in, it helped him actually understand more fully mm-hmm. what temptation was like. So Jesus experienced that in his humanity. So when he overcame sin in that context, he fully gets us. So I think God himself understands us. I'm not saying like he Correct. learned in that sense, but because of that, I mean, he fully relates to us. So because he was God, but he was man, he did not sin, it allowed him to be the sacrifice for our sins. Mm-hmm. But he relates, and, and that's a part of it. Like It makes Jesus to me, more approachable. Absolutely. Because yeah. God, who is perfect, like I worship him because he's perfect and he's holy. I, I celebrate that. But there's an intimidation if there's no Jesus in that. 100%. Because you're like, well, I, I don't want to step. Like I mean, you see every single character in scripture mm-hmm. that has an encounter where they realize they're in the presence of God, they fall on their face, mm-hmm. right? Like you got mm-hmm. Elijah, uh, not Elijah, uh, Isaiah, who's like, Oh, woe is me. Like, yeah. He literally is like, it, <laughs> I'm like, in trouble now. I'm in trouble now, yeah. right? Like, that's how he feels. Mm-hmm. Peter, in the boat, mm-hmm. the, Jesus goes like, here, toss your, your net on, on the other side or whatever. Or toss it out one more time. Like, the first time he meets Jesus, mm-hmm. and he's like, all right, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything, but you've asked us to. Sure. Does it all these fish come in? And then he just realizes, oh, my goodness. I'm in the boat with the Messiah. He just mm-hmm. falls on his face, and he's like, I need you to leave because I'm a sinful man. Like, mm-hmm. that's how we relate to God. He's holy. We're not. But when you understand Jesus experienced all of that, like it makes God more approachable. At least it does to me that he chose to take that posture. I go, he didn't do that for him. He did it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even that he calls. So the, the throne of grace, you get this picture. I don't, if you understand the Old Testament and the, the Ark of the Covenant and where God was said to dwell, like in between the cherubim, and, and that, that place right. was called the mercy seat, mm-hmm. yeah. which. I mean, it could have been called the judgment seat. It yeah. could have been called the... And the, been correct. Right, and been correct because it would have been rightful and true. But what is called is is the mercy seat. It's the yeah. place where Jesus underst- where where God understands our our frailties and our brokenness and meets us there with mercy. And and so I the the fact that he uses the throne of grace, I think mm-hmm. is is an amazing picture that that when we are where we should be met with with uh, judgment and condemnation mm-hmm. is the very place where we're met with grace and mercy um, by a high priest, a person who identifies with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast yesterday. I was telling you from the Bible Project, who they do such a good job with even topics like this because they were breaking down the role of a priest throughout all of Scripture and what that represented. And I don't know if we'll go into it a little bit later, but the idea that Jesus fulfilled all of those things, that he was a priest, that he was a mm-hmm. king, that he was all all of these things in one combined. And even going back to what you were saying earlier with the concept of 
you know, Jesus being tempted, I think there's this thought that, and even sometimes it slips into my mind that Jesus was somehow not tempted in the same way that we were, that sure. there's like this unique experience that he had that wasn't human, but the fact that he was allows us to be able to approach him and, and connect with him mm-hmm. on that throne because he understands us so much more fully. And that's really the truth that draws me back again and again and again is that there's not a God sitting there who doesn't understand my needs, doesn't understand mm-hmm. what I've been through, but a God who fully understands it to the max capacity and has done, like you said, everything and overcome. Like mm-hmm. that's just right. such a powerful truth to know that he's been tempted in every way and he still overcame. And, right. and so he gives us ways to be able to do that in our own lives. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad was preaching on this passage and he said, um, he said, we, we somehow try to sanctify the temptations of Jesus right. as yeah. if like his temptations were holy temptations. Right. He goes, when it says that he was tempted like us, he goes, understand this. He was tempted to not forgive his friends who betrayed him. Right. Oh, and he go, and then he, I remember this as a kid, like I went, <gasps> like, you know, and then he <laughs> yeah. goes, he goes, Jesus was tempted with sexual sin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, as a kid, just if you say the word sex, you know, you're like, <laughs> but like, yeah. to apply that to Jesus, it felt like it felt weird and wrong to me. Like I went, and then I was like, Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it made it alive to me. I'm like, yeah, he was he was tempted in every way. So anything that we think of, like, I mean, there's some version of it that he he experienced and he knew. And, and what I love about this, do you mind if I go back a few verses? Yeah, no. So, like you, from our, our previous Bible study, I asked a question and then didn't mean. No, pause. you're good. <laughs> you're good. But I mean, like, our, so our previous Bible study, it's this whole concept of like God wants us to enter into the rest. It's like this image of mm-hmm. like when we walk in obedience, we get to experience this. But then he uses this like terrifying imagery that we talked about. He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So he's like, you don't just read the Bible, the Bible reads you. And right. he says this, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of to whom we must give an account. That's where we ended last week. But so right. it's like this idea of like, if you want to enter into this rest, there's going to be this standard, the Word of God, who is Jesus, who is going to expose every sin, right? Mm-hmm. Bring it like He's going to cut through the mask that we wear, all the garbage and stuff. You're exposed, laid naked and bare. So like that, if you just stop there and go mm-hmm. like, period, mm-hmm. and that's how it ends, you go like it still makes sense. You're like, yeah, I should be exposed. Right, I'm Absolutely. evil. Right, I need to be exposed. But that's terrifying. He without pause goes. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So all of the things that get exposed, he's like, the person you're going to go to, the high priest, is the one who fully understands it. Mm-hmm. He understands all that the, the struggle, why you gave in. He understands the weakness. He gets all of that. So he says, like, we're going to go to that person. And then he says, like, he was tempted in every way. And then verse 16, let us then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Mm -hmm. So this God who exposes your sin Mm -hmm. is the one who is rooting for you to come receive grace. Like, it's the coolest idea. That's why Mm -hmm. I love this part of the Scripture. He's like, again, it's not the throne of judgment or condemnation or rejection. It's the throne of grace. So God wants to expose you because He wants to forgive you, because He wants you to enter into the rest. And so, like, when you start to understand this imagery and you go, okay, and God, who was in heaven at the right time, looked down on humanity, saw us in our brokenness, and said, this is the time for me to leave heaven, to become the perfect high priest, to die for their sins so that they might have life, so that they might receive grace, so that they might interrupt. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He did it all. And when you understand it, it changes how you approach God. Mm-hmm. 100%. I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking, like, 
I remember being a, a newer Christian and thinking like, man, I've messed up again. God has got to be tired of me. He's got to be so worn out with my mm-hmm. struggle, with my striving, with, with, with the way that I'm handling this relationship with him. He's got to be so frustrated by it. And then this, this was the perspective changer that, that has honestly taken time to work out. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there, there are still moments where I go, when are you going to get tired of me? When are you going to be worn out with my, with my fumbling and my failings? But this passage right here is, is the promise that if we would bring our frailty and our brokenness to God, mm-hmm. why? Because he understands it and, and he's going to meet us with grace. Right. And he's going to give us the help to process through it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I think we think that when we get saved, when we start following Jesus, it, it's going to be this thing that we kind of, it's almost like what we envision Jesus doing, floating above the <laughs> the temptations of the world, floating above the, like, just on this cloud where things don't, we're impervious to these things. Mm-hmm. But reality is it's, it's trudging through the muck and the mire of our sinfulness and our mm-hmm. brokenness and getting help from God when we have need. Absolutely. Well, well, how can we fight sin if we're not willing to go to God and, and go, I need your help? Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, was this not our conversation yes. in full yesterday? Yes. I mean, we sat around for an hour just talking about this process of so often the only voice that I hear is conviction. And I'm not, so I'm not saying conviction is a negative. I'm right. saying it's good. Yeah. It's redemptive. It's powerful. It's necessary. It's a discipline, you know, training us in the way to go. But in a throne of grace situation, there is also the flip side of that, you know, combined right. with that process. And that fullness is what leads us to life. You know, mm-hmm. it's not simply sitting in your conviction. It's not simply sitting in the grace. It's both of those combined that leads us into the fullness of life. And we were talking about trying to find that balance because oftentimes we cling so heavily to the conviction, which is great, but we don't often allow the grace to also be produced right. fruit in our sure. lives. And that, yeah. that's a tough balance to figure out in your head. Yeah. I had a conversation this morning, uh, a couple of our staff members, and I was talking about even my own personal journey with grace. Mm-hmm. And what you said is exactly what I said to him, where I still have these moments where I say to God, I don't understand why you keep giving me grace. Right. And you have to be tired of me. Like yeah. like my laziness, my selfishness, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But I said to them, I, I reached a point in my faith journey where I just was like, I don't understand it. And I have to resolve to be, I'm not, never going to fully understand it. But I trust Jesus that you're being honest. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like that's yeah. one thing I do mm-hmm. believe you're being honest. And your word says, you give me grace. Your word says you want me to keep approaching the throne of grace. Right. So like, I don't feel it, but I believe you're telling the truth. And so I'm taking you at your word. Mm-hmm. And and like, that has been a pivotal shift in my 100%. faith journey. That, that was a long time ago that I made that shift, but it's still like that. So when I have the, the conviction, mm-hmm. that's oftentimes then Satan tries to turn that into condemnation. Right. And, and I feel that I go, you know what? That's not the voice of God. So if I'm hearing a voice saying, pull away from God or God's mm-hmm. tired, I just know with 100% certainty that's not God's voice. Absolutely. And so I have to choose to listen to the voice that leads me to the throne of grace. Because because what happens if you don't? You know what I mean? Like yeah. like what is what is the consequence of going God's tired of me. He doesn't want me to come back to him. Like do you get out of the the trouble that you no. you find yourself in? Do you get out of the do you, you get out of the fight with sin? Right. Do you overcome it? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. No, like you end up walking away and you end up frustrated. And I, I think that it's so amazing that he's like, so hold fast to your confession. confession How do you yeah. do it? You do it by drawing near to the throne of grace. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you have to yeah, be so purposed 
to keep stepping into his presence. Yeah. So in his presence, you receive grace, but also in his presence, you receive everything that the Holy Spirit has promised, wisdom, empowerment, mm -hmm. comfort, conviction, all those things. And when you pull away from grace, you're pulling away from his presence, you're pulling away from all of those other things you need, and there is no life apart from that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, and and, and we are going to, the, the verses we're about to get into are going to explain why the, the promise that you said, that you're going to trust Jesus at his word, why we can trust Jesus at his word, mm -hmm. is going to go into further detail here. So let's pick up in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So all he's saying is that the high priest is, is, is a man. He's chosen from men and appointed on behalf of men, so to represent man, humanity, mm -hmm. to God, and to offer gifts and, and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, still talking about the, the human mm -hmm. priest, uh, since he himself is beset with weakness. So he understands the weakness of humanity because he is human and he's weak. Right. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So this portion is talking about the, the current high priest, the, mm -hmm. the high priest that the temple had and the, the tabernacle had since the time of Aaron. He goes on, he says, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, so he's talking about God, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he, also, as he says also in another place, you are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so I don't want to explore in great detail because we're going to talk later on in, in the Bible study about who Melchizedek was, but Matthew, give us just a kind of brief... <laughs> Your eyes just got real big here. I can do it if you don't want to, but just give us a brief understanding of who Melchizedek was uh, from the story in Genesis. Well, first of all, I like to call him Kizzy because, you know, that's how <laughs> you close guys are we close, are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Melchizedek, the first time we see him in Scripture is, is actually Abraham. Mm -hmm. um, so Abraham has this moment where um, basically people come in and they, they take... I'm doing this from memory, so I apologize You're if good. I say something wrong. But like, it, they take Lot and his family, right? Is that story? He's from. They Sodom. rescue. They and just so, get back from battling. Yeah. So Abraham goes and and he, he wins back and and conquers, gets his nephew back and their family, and he is met by this priest, the high priest Melchizedek, and how it describes him is in like eternal terms. Correct. Like it talks right. about he had no beginning, no end, and uh, and so with that, here's my opinion. My opinion is this is this is Christ in the Old Testament. Sure. You know, I, I am a firm believer, so this is a, a doctrine that I hold to, um, that we see multiple accounts in the Old Testament where God is physically engaging humanity. So I think in the in the Garden of Eden, when it talks about God walking in the garden, I think there's a physical form that he took, and I think every time it's the physical form, that is Christ. So that's the pre-incarnate Christ that took a, a physical form. And so, like, we'll see it all, multiple times in the Old Testament where it will say there are times that he sends angels, and it's clearly defined as angels. Mm -hmm. People will try to worship him, and they'll say, nope, we're an angel. Like, mm -hmm. don't worship us. Mm -hmm. There are other times where it's the angel of the Lord. This is God in the flesh because they worship. He receives worship, receives sacrifices. I think Melchizedek is this because Abraham responds to him mm -hmm. by giving him a tithe. Yeah. He gives mm -hmm. him a tenth of all the— so. Abraham goes and like wins back in battle all of these things and these extra treasures and then gives to him, because I think he's encountering and realizing 
the same God who called him, this is who I'm connecting to right now. Your presence was with me. And so he has this worship moment. And so with his resources, he worships him, gives him a tithe. And so like it, it was just God saying to us, like in the beginning, I'm with my people. Melchizedek was there. That's and it's again, it's a vague enough terms. We don't know the specifics mm-hmm. of it, so we have to kind of read into it. Mm-hmm. But there was some encounter that Abraham realized he there was a moment of worship going on. So again, this sure. is why I think it's God in the Old Testament is if it's just a person, why would Abraham, who just went to battle, this guy didn't help me in battle, you know, like, why would I give him a tent? That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So the reason he did is he realized, okay, you're the, you're God. You're the one who called me, told me to leave my homeland. You're going to give me a promised land. I realize that. And so he gives him in worship. So I think it was just God showing, like, I'm always with my people. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's crazy cool about this is, is these two passages are taken from Psalm 110. Mm-hmm. So like, he's not pulling out of Genesis to talk about Melchizedek. He's talking about Psalm 110, where this is used in the New Testament as one of the premier messianic psalms. So when right. when the when the Hebrews would read this passage, what they were looking for was and anticipating was a high priest who would come and forever and right. eternally connect the yeah. people to God. Right. Yeah. And so the the writer of Hebrews takes this and he goes like look here, like look, this right. psalm, this 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 high priest that we've been waiting for Jesus is that. Mm-hmm. He he comes and he is the one who fulfills all of these roles in a more perfect way. Yes, the high priests have been doing this in a way and and he identifies with them in the same ways. Yeah. And and we're going to talk about those here in a second, but he identifies with those, but but what we find is the fulfillment of all that we've been longing for in Jesus. He is that high priest. Absolutely. Do you, do you mind if I just talk about the high priest's role for just a second? Absolutely. That was actually the question I was about to okay. ask. So yeah. yeah, I just want to make sure, because if our audience doesn't understand that, mm-hmm. they keep hearing the term high priest. So when, when God set Israel free from Egypt and he began a, a personalized relationship with them, so mm-hmm. he, he, if you guys don't know the story, he called Abraham, told Abraham, I'm going to create a nation from you. It's going to be your descendants. He tells Abraham right from the beginning before he has a kid, your descendants are going to spend 400 years in slavery. Um, so that, that would seem like in the journey, that would seem like, oh, things went out of control. But God was like, I want you to know this because in this, I'm creating a nation. So the descendants of Abraham go into Egypt initially through Joseph in, in more of a position of prestige. Uh, but later on, they get enslaved. For 400 years, they grow as a nation. God sets them free. He introduces himself to them. And in his introduction, he gives them the law. And he's saying, this is how we're going to relate to each other. And what is so grace-filled about the law of God, I think sometimes the law of God gets a bad rap because like, mm-hmm. we view it almost as a negative when we shouldn't. But within the law of God was commands that when you make sins, mm-hmm. like commit sins, which you will, you do these things and mm-hmm. sacrifices, and I'm going to forgive you. And so God created initially a tabernacle, which is like the the best term I can use is like a portable church. It's, it's may, way deeper than that, but it's like his presence would be with them. And everywhere they went, they would have this tabernacle. It would be set up. It would be the center of the community. Mm-hmm. They would literally encamp around it in a very specific order where all their tents faced it, um, which is, a, it, even if you think about it, is a militarily weak posture to, <laughs> to face inward versus facing outward. But they would do this so that th- their center was, we're following the presence of God. That tabernacle would eventually become a temple. Um, so David desired to build it, but Solomon was the one who built it. It became a more permanent structure in their community when they settled in the Promised Land. I'm going like super fast. <laughs> but in that, so there was Abraham, his brother, Aaron. Aaron became the first high priest. And the high priest was able to go into this inner part of the tabernacle 
that was considered the holy of holies or the most holy place. Mm-hmm. He would first, though, because he would do this on behalf of the nation one day a year. It would be on the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. So they would make sacrifices every day throughout the year, but on this special day, they would make a like a, a major sacrifice on behalf of all of the sins that the nation committed, and the high priest would go into this most holy place where the actual presence of God would be. It would have the mercy seat inside of there, which was the... the um, the Ark of the Covenant, and I'm not going to go into all those details because it's not needed to right now. Sure. But the high priest would go in there, and he would sprinkle the blood that they shed by killing the the, the sacrifice, the spotless lamb. But they would shed the or sprinkle the blood on there. They would confess the sins. There was this whole process they would go through, and this through this process, the sins would be forgiven of the nation. The it was foreshadowing though, because one person, the high priest, so it was initially Aaron, and then the high priest always had to be one of his descendants. Uh, the high priest one day a year would get to experience the presence of God. Jesus became the ultimate high priest going and doing what we couldn't do, what no other high priest could do, dying on the cross. So not only was he high priest, but he was also the sacrifice Mm -hmm. and he conquered. And so now we can, through him, go and approach God. I mean, it's like this really beautiful imagery so that we can become the temple. So that when Jesus died on the cross, the, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else, that veil was ripped in two, and God, from that point on, never mm-hmm. dwelled in the temple again. Mm-hmm. He, uh, not a temple made by hands. He, he dwelled in us. And so that's the imagery. I hope, I hope that made sense. I know mm-hmm. it's going like, super fast, but I just wanted to give like the, the short version. No, 100%. And, and I think some of the unique things, that the high priest played uh, the mediator role. Right. So you had the prophet who, like Moses, and Moses... I, I think you could say played the the role of prophet and priest For sure. because he yeah. played a mediator, but but mostly like he was the voice of God to the people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where the priest was meant to represent the people to God, and 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 so you get Jesus who does that. He he represents the people to God, and he stands as a mediator between God and man. Now, I, I, a lot of the the doctrine that you hear of the atonement is that it's that Jesus stands and and when God sees Jesus he or right. he sees us or right. when God's looking at us he sees Jesus and the idea is that his sacrifice mm-hmm. his place his his righteousness stands in place of our righteousness and so that's what the role that the high priest played, and Jesus fulfills that role perfectly right. uh, kind of like what you and, said and I think so many people miss that Chris honestly is like they think that God is viewing you through your failure mm-hmm. and and so like the high priest, by doing that, going in and, and sacri- or taking the blood and sprinkling it and receiving grace, for the entire year, God viewed the nation through that. Yeah. You obeyed my word. This is the process of redemption. So now I view you through redemption. I view right. you through, like, you are forgiven. And now for us, that that is the tension that we have is, like, there's even a, an incorrect concept um I don't want to go too deep into this, but there's an incorrect concept that we have to forgive ourselves. Like we, we talk about that a lot in our culture. The, the problem with that concept is when you, ha- when you are forgiven, it is someone else who owns the right to mm-hmm. that sin, and they're choosing whether or not to forgive you, right? Mm-hmm. So when you sin, God's the one who holds that. And when God is the one who forgives you, you understand what I'm yeah, saying? So yeah. like we are actually teaching and believing, like, I have to forgive myself. And I'm like, that is actually an impossibility you don't forgive yourself, it's because God's the one who holds it against you. So if God forgives you and releases, what you are doing is not forgiving yourself, you're taking God at His word. Right. And and you're believing, like, okay, God, I'm in faith, I'm believing, so I don't need to forgive myself, I need to trust God more. And holding true to that confession, going back to that concept of why we originally came into the faith, this is exactly why, this is what we believe, we believe it's both 
God's truth and God's grace in that process, and we're going to hold fast to that in on all seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what you said earlier. It, it, it's that learning to our experience of grace is learning to trust God at His word, trust God's yeah. promises. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, like, I think this is I, I I think this is game changing for people, in my honest opinion, because like if we can realize that that when God looks at us, He's not frustrated with us. Is he does he correct? And we're actually going to talk about discipline. We're going to talk about correction here in a second. Does he discipline us? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Does he want us to? Is he going to free us from the behaviors that that wreak havoc on our lives? One hundred percent. Yeah. But we are viewed because of Jesus Christ. We are in right relationship with God. Mm-hmm. We are in right position with God. We are forgiven. We are met with mercy. We are met with grace. And what that does is allow us to draw near to the throne so that he can transform and change us mm-hmm. in our lives. So, mm. yeah, I think the, impl- the implications of Jesus playing out this high priest, and again, all of the things of, like, he identifies with his people, like, all of these different things that the writer of Hebrews lays out here, that that he was he was also gen- gentle with the ignorant and wayward. He was mm-hmm. He offered sacrifices for sins. He... He was beset with weakness, not in the way that, that God is weak or in need of anything, but because he took on humanity, right. he understood what it meant to to suffer and what it meant to hurt and what it yeah. meant to, and, to, and to face the, temptation. Absolutely. So all the imagery that God gave Israel was to point toward what his ultimate plan was. So even his the initial delivery, what delivered them out of slavery, the final, uh, the final plague was Passover, where he mm-hmm. said, take a spotless lamb, and sacrifice it, apply that blood to your doorpost, which is the signal of applying it to your life or your family. Mm-hmm. And when death sees the blood of the spotless lamb, death will pass over, you will live and be delivered. Mm-hmm. So they did this every single year, and he told them, like, do this every single year. Well, that's obviously pointing to Jesus. That's mm-hmm. is the lamb that is shed and blood applied to your life so that mm-hmm. death passes over, you are delivered, and it's all because of Jesus. So Jesus is the high priest. He's also the lamb. I mean, like, all of this imagery... God was saying right in the beginning, I'm just pointing you guys toward this because you need to remind yourself over and over and over and over, this is my plan. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is my idea. And so when we go, okay, I realize there is no other plan. So God didn't deliver half of Israel by the Passover and the other half by their own ability. He wasn't like, you have take up swords and you are going to be delivered by the Passover. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He was saying, like, all of you are delivered by the blood of the spotless lamb. And every year, the high priest will go in as a mediator so that you can have forgiveness of sins. Again, it's always the sacrifice. It's never what you do. Yeah. It's what I'm doing on your behalf. And and that is, I mean, like, there's a, that beautiful passage in Revelation where it says, and they overcame, and it gives two ways. It's the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Mm-hmm. The blood of the Lamb, again, it's the same imagery. But what's your testimony? Your testimony is never, I did it. Right. right. Like right. none of us were like, yeah, I overcame with Jesus and me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's I overcame by Jesus, and my testimony is I am a sinner saved by grace. Right. Jesus found me in the well. He found me in the pit. He found me broken. He pulled me out. You know, he's mm-hmm. the good Samaritan. Like all of the imagery in scripture, it's like he did it. I didn't right. do it. He did it. Yeah. And I think even the tension that you feel, like you mentioned earlier, the law's not the law's not a bad thing. We viewed it as a like as a negative thing. This is the tension that Paul is constantly wrestling through in the New Testament. It's this idea that that, that the relationship with God and, and the frustration that Paul has is that so many would come and say, "No, it's because you're Jewish that you're uh, 
the people of God. And when Paul would say, no, it's because you trust in Christ. That right. it, Christ's sacrifice, not being, not being ethnically Jewish, makes you part of the people of God and be mm-hmm. able to experience these things. Mm-hmm. And so it's not because you have the law. It's not because you, you are this ethnicity. It's because Christ has opened up this way for all people at all times to, a, to realize that, that God's posture towards them is one of grace and mercy and to find forgiveness and new mm-hmm. life and Absolutely. freedom from sin. Yeah, and you guys mentioned the incredible value that this adds to your life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become the director of discipleship for just a moment. But, <laughs> but this is precisely why we encourage so much study and so much look into scriptures is because in this book, he's clearly speaking to a culture that would have been inundated with this information. They would have studied it from young kids and on, but in our culture, that's just not a thing. And so to learn these things, even for anybody who's tuning in, to continue to dive into them, man, adds so much richness and depth to that relationship with Christ and and continues to draw you back. Because I think that's one of your questions, like what draws you back over and over again to approach the throne of grace? And it's the understanding of the fullness of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done in our life and how we can, you know, live through that and in that in our lives daily, you know, in everything that we do. Yeah, our resilience in this life and in discipleship is God's presence. Absolutely. Like, that is what keeps us resilient right. to, to walk this life. I mean, because it would be easy if we became Christians and died three days later. You know what I mean? Like, right. but Or five seconds. Or five seconds, <laughs> yeah. Or five, yeah, maybe I was Jesus being name, too gracious. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Because because honestly, it is it is the daily ter- wear and tear of yes. of sin, of yes. fighting temptation, yeah. of of living faithfully in a world that's broken by sin. Like that is why the Bible is like, stay faithful, stay connected to Christ, stay faithful, mm-hmm. remember what He's done, apply the promises of God, because it wears you out after a it while. Does. Yeah. It does. This, this passage, I I, I understood and, and memorized this passage very early on in my mm-hmm. faith journey. But there was a stretch in it where it became very real to me, and it became real. This is so simple, but this is just how I have to operate in my own brain, is how do I picture God? Like, as a kid, I pictured God. Uh, this sounds really silly, but um, he, God looked like the Little Mermaid's dad. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Whatever that uh, is. Uh, is, it, is it Midas? No. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about, though? Triton. Yeah, tri- the, the Triton, big, yeah. Yeah, big white flowing hair. Right. I, that's how I pictured God. Like he's, it, But you know how that character is always a little bit edgy? Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. dude, like, mm-hmm. yeah, he speaks like... Gruff, yeah. Gruff, right. And I, I pictured God as gruff um, and, and kind of annoyed with me and so holy, and I knew I wasn't. It was this passage that the more I understood it, the image I had is the Holy of Holies is still this place... Hmm. But it, it was a place that I was welcomed into, and it, this is, again, so simple, but this is how I have to picture it, that every time I step into it, I met with Jesus smiling, mm-hmm. that he's happy I'm there, mm-hmm. that, it, it, that his posture is, I'm glad you came back. <laughs> and, and it was like just that simple mental image where I go, this is what the Scripture is saying, yeah. that God is like, I'm glad you came back. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. ga- I'm glad you came to receive grace, not, oh, you again, right? <laughs> yeah, and, right. And so like when he says, with confidence come before the throne, I'm like... These are his words, not my words. Because if I'm making up the story, like it loses value that God's like, no, I want you to come. And so, like, if our mm-hmm. audience, like everyone that's processing through this and Christians, if we don't have that mental image that God is happy you came back for grace, 
then I don't think you'll ever fully embrace the power that grace is for our lives. 100%. Yeah, and I know where I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry. But even we were talking yesterday, the idea of conviction and how we have a weird interpretation of what conviction means in our lives mm-hmm. and that it's done in some way that's manip- manipulative or that it's like right. harsh or it, it may seem that way in our hearts. But if it's done in love, if, if training and discipline is done in love, even as Paul talks about this father figure that's in you know this righteous place— it allows us to see those things in such a different light than seeing them as like just a harshness from a, an unloving father, you know, and discipline can be seen as God training us in a better way, in a new way, in a, you know, a way that gives us more life. And I don't know, just changes mm-hmm. your perspective a little 100%. bit. Think about yeah, that way. 100%. Yeah, so good. All right, well, let's keep moving on. Um, I feel like this is something that we could talk <laughs> yes. about all day long, so... <laughs> Um, getting into verse seven, he says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay. So he, he wraps all this up, and this this can be some of the more confusing passages sure. of, of what's being said here. And, and so let's just kind of—I just want to paint the picture of, of kind of what's going on here, and then we're going to talk about this, this whole concept a little bit. So if you take and apply Luke chapter 22, which is Jesus is preparing for his death, and you look at this passage, and you you look at it in light of what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane or the Mount of Olives, where Jesus goes out to pray the night before he dies. This is exactly what the author is talking about here. Right. And so he, he is referencing back to this picture of Jesus agonizing in the Garden over what's about to happen. Now, what's confused— Asking for it to be removed ask, from him. Exactly. Asking for it to be removed from him. And, and what's confusing here, I think— and, and I don't think the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus asked to be delivered from death, and then he was delivered from death. It was that Jesus was heard, mm-hmm. and because he of his reverence, because of he, he was listened to, and it was acknowledged, and he wasn't alone in what he had to go and face. You know what I mean? So right. like, like it was this idea of like, even though Jesus didn't want to face death, he was obedient, and this that leads into the the context of the next verse. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Ultimately, talking about the cross, this is what Philippians 2 tells us, is that he was perfected. He was made perfect in this idea of of going to the cross. I I think Philippians 2 is like... um, because of his obedience, he'll be exalted above high. It's, It's the same idea of he was made perfect in his obedience, even to be willing to go unto death. Mm -hmm. So this can be a confusing concept that the Jesus who was God had to learn something. But I think if we look at it in light of the context of Jesus was both God and man, mm-hmm. he he is being disciplined in this moment. Like he, he is being disciplined to learn the reverence, ob- uh, obedience, um, suffering, like all of that was a teaching moment for Jesus to the place where he would live it out perfectly mm-hmm. on the cross. So I kind of hem all around there. <laughs> why or, or how can God learn obedience? Or why would we why would we say that Jesus was learning obedience? 
Yeah, I mean, and what is the importance of that? Let me, let me say it that way. Yeah, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, the, the imagery of Jesus, the, the tension that you constantly see in Scripture is because you're, you're trying to use language to describe something that transcends language. Actually, yeah. And so you, you have an eternal God who chose to, to take the form of His creation and interact with us in creation. And so a normal person would go through rhythms, and we're trying to use some of that language to apply it to Jesus, understanding that that language falls short. So, like, mm-hmm. what we know is Jesus was perfect, um, never sinned. Um, it, even in this, like, in the language where it says, um, was being made perfect. So, like, when we hear that, what we think is someone was imperfect, as in they were broken or sinful, right. and then they became perfect. But it's more of just talking about how, like, basically he fulfilled his calling. It, it's the it. idea of completion yeah. more than it yeah. is of being wrong and now right or being ignorant and now have knowledge mm-hmm. it's like he reached the point of what his calling was in his life and so like he he wrestled with and again this is a, an image of Jesus that I love yeah. because it shows his humanity like it's heartbreaking it really genuinely is that he's in the garden and he I mean, his friends are like and I would be that friend but his friends are losers right like right. that he's like will you stay up and pray with me and they keep yeah. falling asleep they don't fully understand it He's genuinely agonizing to the point it, it's such a stress-induced moment that he starts like having drops of blood come down like where mm-hmm. he normally would sweat, and, and so like even then when people say like if you worry or you have fear you're sinning I'm like mm-hmm. then you're calling Jesus a sinner right. and, and he didn't sin, it's like he wrestled with those emotions and his prayer was like Father it, I know you're able to do things if you're able to take this cup from me please do but ultimately not my will yours be done so right. like, he wrestled with it over and over. So the reason why I love that imagery again, it's it's Jesus really wrestling with this dynamic that that you have to trust the Father, mm-hmm. that you have to trust His ways, and so like He did everything, all of the wrestling, all of the agonizing, mm-hmm. He did everything. Mm-hmm. He went and died on the cross. So like He learned obedience in the sense that He experienced what all of us would have to experience. Right. Right. So it's not like He was ignorant and then became knowledgeable as much as like in this form, fully walking through what all of us need to go through, he did all that as our example. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was like a learning lesson for him in that moment, like, oh, this is the definition of what obedience is right, right now. Right. You know, he, he knew that already, being kind of you know clearly in relationship with God, he would have known that, but it was more of like walking in that. And here's what's always encouraging to me is we forget that Jesus in that moment had a choice, you know, right. that he was given that choice of, choose to bail out of this right now because it's going to be awful or choose to stay in this. Right. And I think, man, does that encourage our faith to say yeah. that Jesus loved us that much, that he went to the cross with joy in his heart because he knew that that choice was ultimately going to radically yeah. transform mm-hmm. that relationship between us and God. And I, I love that the, the concept of obedience, that Jesus was in that moment making a choice of obedience to follow after the mm-hmm. will of God. And Jesus, he he limited his Godhead, his mm-hmm. his Godness. He sets it aside. Yeah. He set it aside in yeah. humanity so that he could experience and model for us. Because again, if he had like an unfair advantage in the sense of like a, a cheat code, right? right. Like, <laughs> like he's not really humanity and he's like, didn't really feel pain. He didn't really feel that. Then you look at it and go like, he didn't really live a sinless life, not in the sense that he was sinning, but like he floated above it. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to experience it. So all of these verses was God's way of showing us, no, he experienced it all, but it wasn't just for us to worship him, though that's a huge part of it, primary part. It's so that we could feel connection to him. Right. Go like, he did that for me and you. And, and what's 
what I think is is both beautiful and and like I think challenging, particularly in like our culture just does not. We do everything we can to remove suffering from our 100%. lives, but what's amazing here is that suffering was the education. Like, yeah, suffering was the moment that, and Brandon's laughing right now because <laughs> he and I had a very very long conversation about this yesterday, but like suffering was the education this whole like the agonizing part of it is is where it's it's exactly what you said it was where he met what what we face like mm-hmm. think about all of the times when we're brought up what is it like to to be faced with the choice to obey god in something that's difficult for us is it not that agonizing is it not that suffering is it not that that moment of like oh, this is something i do not want to do a, a few weeks ago God called me to do something on Sunday morning that like was so out of my comfort zone. Right. <laughs> and and I was like, it was one of those moments of like, God, if you got anything else, like I'll take yeah. like anything right. else. Like yeah. it, it's, it's this level of this is going to cost me. This is going to hurt. But those are the moments. And, and Brandon, this is the conversation we had that I'm going to let you kind of explain a little bit of, but isn't it those moments where we, where we recognize that God is doing something in and we become better because of it. Yeah. Uh, in connect group this week, we were processing through this very thing, the idea of how we respond in the midst of suffering or in the midst of being called to be disciplined at something. We were basing it off of your message about fasting and how sticking with fasting can train us in so many powerful ways. Anyways, we all confess that there are like two responses that we have. We either say, I'm going to bail out. I'm just going to, ignore it. I'm just going to leave it. I'm not even going to believe that that's something that God has called me to. Or we just muscle up with our own strength and say, I'm just going to plow through this on Mm -hmm. on my own power. And that's just how we respond in those moments. And even yesterday in our conversation, we were talking about the value of staying in a moment. Like if God is training us in something, if it's supposed to produce fruit and good in our lives, we always want to be like, nope, I'm out. Like, I don't want anything to do with this whatsoever. Yeah. But if we go back to God's doing it in a loving way, if we stay in that moment, as agonizing as it is in that moment, the end result is I become more like Christ. I become, you know, a better version of myself. I learn something out of that. And I, if just an honest, transparent confession on my part, I just want to be like, no, I don't even want to deal with it at all. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to stay in this suffering right now. But if we somehow submit and surrender, even like Christ did in, in these moments, the fruit of it is just uh, so much blessing, you know. But it's just that part of like, I I I want to stick with this, you know what I mean? I want to remain in this as 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 tough as it is, you know. Yeah, and let's think about that moment in Gethsemane for a minute. Like the moment that he said, "Not my will, but yours be done." Did that stop the pain that he was about to experience? It didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. And, and so there was still a level of, like, I'm going to have to trust you through something that's mm-hmm. extremely difficult. And, and like, I, I think I, I'm trying to collect my thought here on what I, where I was going with that, because it just kind of went, poop <laughs> left me. But the, the the idea that, like, staying in that suffering, staying in that moment, not because we love suffering, not because <laughs> right. you know what I mean. Like, we're not gluttons for punishment, but the model that Jesus has for us is that the result of obedience, the, the good that comes out of obedience, and, and he says it here, we now have eternal salvation because Christ completed mm-hmm. his obedience through the suffering. Like, if we would 
see the obedience through, even if it doesn't change immediately, mm-hmm. and we continue to stay in that moment, the promise is that the other side of that obedience is life and and, right. and joy. Yeah, when I when I was teaching on prayer just a, a few weeks ago, uh, in my own personal reflection as I was studying, and I, I said this to the church too, but I, I when you look at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, in that it's like I, I want on heaven, I want on earth what's happening in heaven, right? Like uh, on earth as it is in heaven, mm-hmm. like this idea of like daily bread and in this concept. And I said, you know, when you think about often the prayers that we pray, we're praying for deliverance from things that it's possible that God actually wants us to go through because He wants to teach us something. Mm-hmm. And so, like we do think all suffering equals bad. Therefore, I want deliverance from it. And I want to get out of it as soon as possible. Versus in that moment of going, God, will you teach me? Will you show me? So like even Jesus, I was trying to find it in scripture. I, I don't think I'm wrong on this, but what doesn't one of the accounts at least say like after Jesus wrestled with it, God sent angels to minister him. I might be mixing up the temptation no. story or what? No, you're right. Like, um, I cannot remember which gospel it's in though, but it does say that somewhere. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. I read it just, yesterday in the commentary. I saw it one time in the Bible, <laughs> Both of those. you know, yeah, but, uh, but it's this idea that, that God didn't take the suffering away, but he still brought comfort right. in the suffering. Like you're right. still going to go through this. And I think that's the beautiful tension and image is that we go like, I, I'm, I'm still at times saying, God, like, if you're teaching me something, teach me, I want to mm-hmm. learn so I can get out of this as soon as possible. <laughs> right. but, but I trust you that if the suffering doesn't stop, it's not that you've lost control. Right. You know, like, so I, I still want to learn and I still want to grow in the suffering. And, and I do think we are a culture. I, this is not an exaggeration. You know, you can sound at times as like a grumpy old man or a grumpy Christian, but our, our culture really is so adverse to suffering because we, we've taught everyone it's about really humanism. It's about uh, just uh, hedonism. Yeah, it's like you do, you create your own truth. You do whatever you want. Your desires, don't suppress them. Your, your heart can lead you to happiness. So follow your heart, do what you want. It's like this image over and over, consumeristic culture, microwave culture. I mean, you add all these things together and we want what we want now. I mean, even to the point, like when we were kids, you ordered something, it would come in four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Now we're annoyed that it doesn't come the next day. And like, <laughs> yeah. now we're getting used to like Amazon like I ordered a book yesterday and it was delivered yesterday. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I'm going, that's how it should be. <laughs> right? like, that's we don't want suffering. Right. We, we want mm-hmm. it now. And yet what we need to be saying is like, God, just teach me through this process. And so like, even yeah. what one of my favorite passages of scripture, what um, Paul said in Romans is he's like, we can rejoice in suffering. Like he uses a phrase rejoice in suffering that doesn't make human sense alone. Right. It makes sense for the Christian whose God is in control, who is working suffering toward a purpose. He goes, we can rejoice in suffering knowing that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because he's poured out his spirit into us. But what he's saying is like, there's a process. If you don't learn to stick in in suffering and learn in suffering, you actually don't learn endurance. So like all of right. us have been athletes. Mm-hmm. We are athletes. Let's just be honest. We're still athletes. I appreciate that generous term that you <laughs> yeah, just right, used for me. So you're a marathon runner. Like you've completed marathons, <laughs> yeah. you uh, triathlons, mm-hmm. um, and me, none of those two things, but I do CrossFit <laughs> and stuff. But I, I was you know a college athlete. But we all learned that you, there is a season of suffering that mm-hmm. teaches you endurance, that teaches you that you can you can get through it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, like the the first season is so tough, but you learn and you persevere and like through that, and then it becomes easier. So the next time you face that challenge, you know I can do it. Mm-hmm. I can run the I can run the run. I can swim the swim. I can bike the bike. Right? Like I can I can put in the miles. Like we know that because yeah. we've done it before. And that's what he's saying. Like suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Now you have the character that when you face the moment of suffering, 
the weak run away, the people right. with character go, I can face it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's with temptations, that's with difficult seasons of life. And he's like, and once you cross over, you genuinely have hope because you go, I'm learning from God. He's given me his spirit. I can walk through the next suffering. I can walk through the next suffering. So I genuinely have hope. But the person who avoids the suffering never learns to walk down that pathway. And, and this, Jesus modeled for us, Jesus who was sinless suffered, right? So right. it wasn't a consequence of sin right. in his situation, and he still suffered. God used it for redemptive purposes, the saving of humanity. And so, yeah, we look at Jesus' story and we go, like, it's just so full of grace, but it's also this amazing example for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well Paul said. says, uh, Paul, uh, Paul, I'm sorry, did I interrupt no, you? No, I just said no, well okay. said. Um, yeah, don't interrupt when he's coming. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Paul, Paul says it this way, like, that I could share in Christ's sufferings so that, so right. that I can be made like him. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so, like, there... And when you first read that as a kid, aren't you like... That's crazy. Yeah, whatever, Paul. <laughs> yeah. You're just trying to sound spiritual. But as you get older, you go, oh, I get it. Paul literally meant that. Yeah, like, I want to be so like Christ that I'm willing to even enter into hmm. discomfort and discipline. And, and, and the Greek idea, the Greek word for it that actually comes from a Hebrew word is, is paiedic, paiedia. And it's this idea of discipline. And, and it's mm-hmm. the training up of righteousness, the right. training up of right. Rightness, and so this is the process that that Hebrew young boys would go through their Torah training. There, it, it's right. like all of the things that parents were supposed to do to raise their kids in discipline, and even goes on in Hebrews chapter twelve to say discipline right. is for good. Yeah, yeah, it's this idea that that we are we submit ourselves to suffering for the purposes of knowing Christ. We submit ourselves for the purposes mm-hmm. of being trained to become like Him, to become to become, and to be again. That's all for the purposes of us experiencing life and joy and and right. and, and, and fullness. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, yeah. I, again, my, yeah. I don't know why my and the, brain lost track. The discipline of that, but. is we, we understand discipline more often than not in the latter version of it happens after we've done something wrong. Correct. But what yeah. I was talking about even before, like when we talk about suffering and, and producing things in Hebrews chapter 12, that we'll get to in upcoming weeks. That discipline is a preparatory type dif- discipline. So it's like it's the the coach who has you run sprints in in the early part of the season to be ready for the later part. Right. It's a training concept. So it's right. not always um, consequence based. It's, right. it's preparing you for something. Mm-hmm. And so there's both of those. Mm-hmm. And and that's the beauty of a relationship with God is God disciplines those He loves, but He disciplines them in preparing them. He disciplines them in response. Like it's right. on both sides, both motivated by love both for the ultimate purpose of a person experiencing the rest that's talked about that God wants us to experience. Mm-hmm. And so like, we do need to, in our lives, God, what are you preparing me for? Mm-hmm. If I'm going through this, mm-hmm. like, and if I don't view it that way, if, if you're rude to me and I'm not viewing this as something that God's preparing me for, then I just match your energy. Right. Like, you're rude yeah. to me, I'm rude to yeah. you, right? right? Like, oh, I hate my job. Like, this job is suffering, I don't like it. And so now I'm just, this is who I am. I'm just gonna, it's gonna impact my mood and stuff. But when I go, okay, wait, God, you're preparing me, right. so mm-hmm. now okay, you're rude to me. I can I can re, re, you know repay this with kindness because he's molding my character. I'm in a job I don't like, but okay, mm-hmm. I, I can still respect my boss. I can respect my coworkers. I can see what God are you training me for? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it changes your whole perspective. But if you don't understand this, then you just suffering has no value because you're just you're trying to get out of it or you're just moping in it. Absolutely, yeah. and and I just remember where where I was trying to get to, the the whole idea of of like suffering being something that we sit in, something that we don't bail out of, 
Like, I don't think it's, it, I know we said that, that our culture like loves the, to avoid suffering, but I don't think it's, I don't think we should feel guilty for the fact that we, we feel the, the desire to come out of that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Because Jesus did. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, right, that, right. that is the, but once we realize like, like what you said, that this is the moment that God has brought me to, this is the moment that God is teaching me from, um, now I'm going to stay in it. And like, mm-hmm. and I think that's the, that's the example that Christ was leading us to. So, and then just all of the things that you said, the mm-hmm. life that comes from, comes from, it comes from seeing it through and right. allowing God to teach us in it. Yeah, it's not sinful to want to get out of suffering, right? But it's sinful to sin <laughs> and suffering, right? Like, right. like if if you're called to do something and you say no to God, right. that's where the sin comes into it. Right. It's not the desire to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's the calling of Scripture: is that that you're facing you your life is difficult now because right. you're pursuing Christ. Don't abandon that because it's difficult. Like, right. don't be surprised by the fact that it's difficult now that you're trying to be faithful to Jesus. Right. Don't be surprised that you're facing suffering, and and suffering does not mean that you're doing it wrong. As a matter of fact, right. Scripture would say you're probably doing it right now. For sure. Yeah. And, and you look at, like, so, like, our three lives, we're all at our church. All three of us happen to be pastors and elders at mm-hmm. our church. Um, if you would have asked any one of us, like, early on in our lives, especially early on in our faith journey, w- would we be... Um, mature Christians and stuff, like, we would have been like, man, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? But, like, now that we've got to this place of there is maturity, and, and again, we have so far to go, so this isn't me like, hey, we arrived. It, I'm saying, but we, we can acknowledge a place of maturity. When we look back, it was a difficult path to get to where we are. Absolutely. And it, there has been a path of suffering where we've had seasons where we have absolutely failed in choices that we've made. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had seasons of laziness, selfishness, all of those things. We've all battled through insecurities. We've all mm-hmm. battled from just the wounds of life mm-hmm. uh, and all of that suffering. But like in each season that we've turned it over to God and walked with Him, what He has produced is something beautiful, and <laughs> He has produced it. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about this a lot as a staff. If we were charting out our lives, none of us would chart the paths that we took to get to where we are of faith. There has Not been moments of suffering that I would have easily avoided if I could have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yet I look back and I go, but yet I see every one of those seasons, God's redemptive purpose to lead me to where I'm at. So yesterday I was traveling with, uh, I went to a conference with my friend, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Moore, who's pastor at X Church. And we were talking about, because both of us went through like building projects. We just completed another one with our youth center. And and I said, you know, like in, in our earlier project, there were pro- times where that got delayed and different things. And yet I was so confused and frustrated during those seasons. And yet in every season, God used it to prepare us. Like the first time we got our finances in better order. The second time we got our systems better in order, Mm -hmm. like all of these different things that I look back and I go, all of the things that I viewed as suffering was a loving father going, no, I'm, I'm preparing you for something. Mm -hmm. And so we came out of it like so much better. And it's just been that rhythm in my life and all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, like, that's not just for pastors. That's everyone. This is what he's calling to. This is the, the, the gift of having a Savior that's our high priest that relates to us. Is he's saying, like, I will, I will redeem your suffering if you allow me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and suffering doesn't show up necessarily always in, like, physical circumstances. I think they're— yeah, For sure. Like, I think there's mental—like, there, there, there are ways that our emotions and our, our minds work that create suffering— yeah. when we're encountering things like this and that's a, like that's a season that I'm in right now like mm-hmm. it, it's just the the constant turmoil to get back to the place where where I feel like I'm trusting God where I'm being faithful yeah like it feels like a fight and it feels mm-hmm. like it's right. it, it, like it just feels like there's constant attack on that and and so like there there is this level of like 
you may be facing something that <clears throat> your life from all outside, from for all intents and purposes, from outside looking in, your life may look great, mm -hmm. but yet you feel like you're just struggling right now. It, it's the same principle. It, it, you go to God and you go, okay, God, what mm -hmm. are you teaching me through this? And, and, and learning how to face each of the each of those things as they come and just being like god i want to be faithful to you despite what i feel despite what i'm going through how do i what do i need to learn from this what what are you trying to teach me mm -hmm. well so, said yeah very well said I, I think i think our church would be shocked i've said this numerous times i think they would be shocked at how much we as staff members uh struggle you know that like mm -hmm. uh, so for us like it, it we have our our monday morning devotional time that we we come together as a staff and we just talk about life and I think if if we ever were to videotape that and, and play it, I think people would be shocked at just the amount of suffering that happens consistently with all of our staff mm -hmm. in what you're saying. It's not like I, I haven't physically suffered in a long time. I mean, I have migraines like that's that's <laughs> I don't like that. But um, but 99 percent of our suffering is spiritual and emotional and mental and relational mm -hmm. and like all of the wounds and hurts and battling and insecurities and all that. Yeah. People would be shocked. Mm -hmm. They would just go like, oh, I thought you guys floated above it. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was easier for or I thought you guys are more disciplined. If they realize that it is a, a daily choice of waking up going, all right, God, I need you just to get through today. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to sound like a. Um, I'm not trying to to get sympathy. If people knew the emotional struggle I had sometimes just to get through a sermon, like mm -hmm. I'm up there preaching on something, I'm not, and it might not have me what I'm going through might have nothing to do with the message Correct, itself, yeah. but I'm just dealing with my own garbage of life and situations. I think people would be shocked, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and like the the worship leaders getting up there and they lead us in worship, and it's genuine. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about we're not Agreed. being fake. One hundred percent. It's just like there's like this dynamic of like the faces I'm, I'm, I'm walking and God's empowering me and we're doing this ministry, mm -hmm. but I also know my heart's hurting and I have insecurities and, yeah. and I'm frustrated and I'm sad and I have these emotions. And, and like, I think if people realized it, they would go like, Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. We all have that. It's like, yeah, we all yeah. have that. Yeah. yeah. I got the surprising opportunity to be able to teach for a brief moment this Sunday. And I talked a lot about that, this idea of these, these things that keep me half hearted towards God. And you would, you'd be surprised by how many people come up afterwards and were just like, hey, me too, you know, or that right, type yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was like that realness, which I'm so always so afraid to be transparent because yeah. maybe people will think I'm less than or I'm not fully this holy pastor, you know, that they have this expectation of. Uh, but being able to be transparent and to really connects all of us in this process of becoming more like Christ and, and working through things together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, guys, this has been a phenomenal Bible study, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Um, anything else that you guys want to, you feel needs said or you want to conclude with before we close out? I, I just, the only thing I want to say is always remember that the face of God when you approach Him is smiling. Like, he, He's happy yeah. you're there. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, it's just like, that's the thing I want people to know is it, if you ever feel the energy from God is negative. Just know it's not God's voice. Yeah. You know, he's the one who wrote these words to us for us. And, and that's the, like, I've said this before, like, so if I'm, if I'm navigating my life, I'm not, not taking the path, that, you know, whatever, but if I'm creating the doctrine of God, this isn't what I'm creating. Right. I'm creating one where the God's a God of justice, because that's how my brain works. This story is so unbelievable because the only reason it's believable <laughs> is because God himself wrote it. Right. You know, to have this type of grace and this type of mercy. So the God who wrote these words is the one who's smiling every single time you approach him.
Amen. And let me pair that with don't do it alone in terms of the relationships in your life. Like that's the most dangerous thing that we can do outside of not approaching God and understanding his grace is trying to do it all by yourself. Like I know that I'm a pastor, I'm the groups guy, but I I cannot emphasize that enough. I think those two ingredients will radically transform your life in powerful ways. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. And with that, I'm going to close our Bible study today. And and I pray that those truths sit heavy on your heart Mm -hmm. and that that the, the promises of God are true for you, um, and and so I pray that 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 just works into your mind and your heart as you as you process these this conversation this week. We absolutely love having you join us for these. I pray that they increase your faith. I pray that they stir your heart, and I pray that you're finding more and more joy in your pursuit of studying the Word of God as we go through these. That's that's my heart, and my prayer for these Bible studies. So, um, thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week with the last half of chapter 5.